Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. God bless you. It's good to be with you again. Thanks to everybody who helped at our pantry, rain or shine. We uh, give out groceries to hundreds of people in need twice a month. And I appreciate all of you who make that happen because that is a, a wonderful thing for the church to do. If you want to get close to the heart of Jesus, be in a place where you get to care for people in need. That's where Jesus is, and that's where we try to be too. So thankful for all of you who have helped with that. Uh, I think somewhere near 100 people from our church have volunteered at our pantry so far at one time or another. So that's, uh, that's been great. And I'm looking forward to going to Mexico next weekend uh, to help build a classroom for uh, a church planting network down there that we've worked with before. Uh, we haven't been down to Mexico since before the pandemic, but there's a pastor down there who set out to plant 50 churches and he's on number 50 now. In 10 years, he's planted 50 churches. And so we're going down to help build the, I think the classrooms that are attached to church number 50 so that they can have another worshiping community down there in Tijuana. So uh, happy for all the things that we get to do together as a church and uh, looking forward to spending 2023 with you. Today, we're gonna dive back into our series on the gospel of Luke. And as you know, we looked at the, the first opening pages of Luke where Luke tried to impress on us, Jesus is a surprise. He's not what you expect. When you encounter Jesus, you're gonna, you're gonna be thrown off if you think you know who God is. And now we've moved into a, a section of Luke where Luke begins to send out the disciples. And we looked at the parable of the sower and, and the heart of our God who wants to spread his word to people in need. And today we're gonna look at uh, the moment at which Jesus first sends out his 12 disciples to do ministry. And from that, we're going to infer what it means for you and I as we are sent out to do ministry. So let's pray together. Jesus, bless our study of your word. May we grow closer to you and know you more. May the surprise that you are continue to be uh, pleasing to our hearts. May the surprise not be a negative one because we've gotten you wrong, but instead a good kind of surprise because you are even better than we expected. Uh, Jesus, we want to grow close to you and walk with you, and we can only do that by the power of your Spirit. So by the power of your Spirit, release hearts that are bound by distraction uh, and sin and brokenness uh, and fear and anxiety. Jesus, break all that away from us and set our hearts free to draw close to you. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. All right, we're going to pick up where we left off in the Gospel of Luke, right? In Luke chapter 9, I'm going to read you this passage, and then we're going to talk about what it means for you and I. Uh, Luke chapter 9 at verse 1, follow along in your Bibles and listen to God's Word. When Jesus had called the 12 together, this is the 12 disciples, the inner circle, he gave them the power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Remember this, Jesus in his lifetime was primarily known as a healer and an exorcist, not as a moral teacher. Crowds did not flock to him because he was a great speaker. They flocked to him because he worked miracles. When you hear someone can 
touch the sick and heal them. If you are sick, you, you get there as fast as you can. If you know someone who is sick, you take them there as fast as you can. If you're just curious, you go and watch. And this is what Jesus did. And he cast out demons. And this is important. Don't write this off as superstition. Uh, I have been called to people's houses, I think seven times now, where things were happening that were, um, that were dark uh, and frightening. Uh, and I've been called to pray for their houses. And, and if we write that off, we say, oh, that's just superstition. That's just how they thought about it back then. None of that's real. We disarm ourselves for a battle that we have to fight. It's an ignorant way to approach what is clearly real in the story of Jesus. This is not a metaphor. This is not just a way of speaking of things. Jesus went around casting out demons. Uh, in his uh, famous book, The Prince, uh, in 1532, Machiavelli was giving advice to Italian nobles of how to conquer other lands, how to go to war. And he says this, he says this, you must never fail to respond to trouble just to avoid war. Because in the end, you won't avoid it. You'll just be putting it off to your enemy's advantage. If you avoid trouble because you don't want to go fight, then eventually the fight will end up on your doorstep and your enemy will have planned the battle strategy. That has profound spiritual implications. Do not write off the reality of the battle between light and dark that exists in the Gospels. Because if you do, the darkness is going to end up on your doorstep with its own plans. So this is the life of Jesus. He healed people, he cast out demons, and he preached good news. Verse three, he told them, he's sending out the 12 now, he told them, Take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Can you imagine going out into the world feeling so confident that God will take care of you, that God wants to bless you, that you can go into the world with empty hands and say, I'm going to go find people in need. And though my hands are empty, I will bless them and take care of them because that's how good my God is. When I get to the place of need, God will give me the resources that I need to care for others. So he says, go into the world with empty hands. Watch what God does. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. In other words, signal to that town, because you have rejected God's messenger, I'm not even going to take the dust from your streets with me on my shoes. Right? The consequences of our rejecting God is that God gives us exactly what we want. It's God's worst punishment for us. In Romans chapter 1, because they ignored God, he handed them over to their lusts. Right? God's worst punishment for us is not to zap us. It's to say, well, okay, if that's what you want. Shake the dust off your feet uh, against them. So they set out, the, disi the disciples set out, and they went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now we read this story and we think, well, that's cute. That's nice. That's what they did back then. This is the game plan for our lives. Jesus sent the 12 because he means to send you and I. This is what we sign up for when we become a follower of Jesus. When you become a follower of Jesus, you are signing up to live life on a mission for Jesus. That's it. 
We're not signing up to live a comfortable life in the suburbs where we get our family squared away, we get our house squared away, we get our job squared away, we get our car squared away. And then after we got everything we want, we turn to Jesus and say, what do you want to do for an hour on Sunday mornings? It's exactly the opposite. We go to Jesus and say, I want to live for you. And he says, okay, empty out your hands of all the things you're holding on to. I will send you out. I will provide for you everything you need. Go and bless the world. What, what we do as followers of Jesus today, I think is, is frighteningly different than what he set out to, to send his disciples into the world to do. It's kind of like we played this game of, of telephone. You know the game you play when uh, you're a kid and you get a, a line of kids in a row and the first person wh- whispers a message to the second one and the second one tries to hear it and whisper the same message to the third one and then the third one whispers it to the fourth one all the way down the line and then the last person repeats out loud what they thought they heard. And the first person says, no, here's where the message started. And it's hilarious because the message changes a lot being whispered from person to person. It's kind of like Jesus began in the beginning by saying, hey, follow me. And in the modern world, in the modern American church, the message that we heard was, hey, be a fan of me. And it may seem like there's a thin line between being a follower of Jesus and being a fan of Jesus, but the two are worlds apart. Jesus called us to be followers, not fans. I'll tell you what it's like. Imagine a sports recruiter from a college going out and recruiting athletes to come play on the college team. And he shows up at the the tennis courts or on the football field and he says, hey, we want you to come play for the school. We've got scholarships for you. Come join us. This will be great. And the student signs up and goes to college on a sports scholarship. And when they get there, the head coach says, oh, somebody told you wrong. We don't need any more players on the field. We've already got great players on the field. We only need a few of them, and we only take the best. What we need is more fans in in the stadium cheering for the players. So you can be one of those. Go sit in the seats and watch the players play and just applaud for them, and they'll feel encouraged. That is exactly what can happen in the modern church. That's exactly what the modern church system is designed to create. We've got professional orators. We've got professional musicians. We just need you to show up for an hour a week to watch the show and applaud for the people who are doing it. We have a system designed to create fans instead of followers, and that was not the mission of Jesus. That's not what Jesus sent us out to do. He has something entirely different in mind when he sends out the 12. Can you imagine if the 12 went out and they came back and they said, uh, yeah, we went and we watched one of the guys do it. And the rest of us just sort of cheered for him. It was, it was wonderful. If you've grown up in church, it's hard to get your mind around the fact that where we end up can be miles away from where we were supposed to be. Because if you're born, for instance, if you're, bo- if you're born in a place where it uh, rains all the time, the stuff that has been coming down from the sky in recent days is called rain. I know those of us who have lived in California all our lives have never heard of this before. It's called rain. Everybody, let's say that word together at the same time so we learn it. Rain. Yeah, that's what that is. Rain is coming down from the sky. If you grow up in a place where there's all kinds of rain, you just get used to it. 
there's always an abundance of water. You even come up with different words for what's going on outside. It's a mist or a sprinkle or a shower or a downpour, or a deluge. You have a whole vocabulary for it and you get used to it. If a place where it rains all the time starts to go through a drought, everybody has to cut back on water use and they're shocked. What's going on? It's always rained. How could we, how could we have to manage water? There's always been enough. But if you are born in a drought, if you're that, that next generation and you're born after the drought has already hit, you grow up expecting that there's not going to be enough water, that you always have to live conservatively, that you always have to live with your hands tightly wrapped around what you have because it could slip away. Exactly the same thing is true spiritually. If you grow up in a season of revival, if you grow up in a household where prayer is normal, you just assume, well, everybody knows. Faith is a, is a real thing, and it's a normal thing, and it's what you should do. But if you grow up in a season of spiritual drought, where the church is not in revival, where people do not become Christians and are not baptized at church, you think, well, maybe it just doesn't happen that way. Maybe it's a rare thing, and we shouldn't expect it. A lot of us have grown up in churches that were in a spiritual drought, and we haven't come to expect that you live life on a mission for Jesus because nobody seems to be doing that. Jesus called his disciples to live life on mission. And it's very easy for us to miss that if we've grown up in churches where religion was just sort of a normal Sunday thing. Now, when you start to live life on a mission, you have to get real clear on what Jesus is sending you out to do because there's a couple ways that we've gotten that wrong historically. Some people historically have seen living life on a mission for Jesus as a confrontation. And their goal is to go out and aggressively do information sharing with people who don't know Jesus. And if the people put up any argument at all, they have a whole list of prepared arguments where they're gonna fight with the people who don't believe in Jesus and prove them wrong. And there was a season in the history of the church not that long ago where that was sort of the, the main approach to sharing faith. You learn all the arguments, you get all the information in your brain, and you go out and you prove everybody else that you know better than they do. I remember when I was in college, there was a time I heard a pastor stand up in a pulpit on a Sunday and say, pray this week about how you can make Jesus known to the world. And, uh, and uh, I can't remember if he said it or if I just thought about it, but I thought there's, there's religious groups that go door to door and knock on people's doors and, and those churches have grown by doing that. I've never done that before. What if I put together a little pamphlet explaining Christianity and a friend of mine and I go along door to door and we knock on doors and try to talk to people. And that's what we did. Put together a little pamphlet. My friend and I from church went first door we knocked on. The guy opened the door, didn't know who we were. We had not yet said a word. He just cussed us out. I have no idea what was going on in that man's life, but I'm glad I'm not him. Just angry and then slammed the door. We went through the rest of the morning going house to house, and it was not very productive. Most people really didn't want to talk to us about our aggressive information sharing. <clears throat> the church historically has not done well when it perceived its mission as aggressive information sharing. They still say in Hawaii, that when the missionaries arrived in Hawaii, the Hawaiians owned the land and the missionaries owned the Bible. And when the missionaries left, the Hawaiians owned the Bible and the missionaries owned the land. There have been 
all kinds of abuses that have come out of perceiving the mission of Jesus as aggressive confrontation. It's really something different than that. Now, back around the 1980s, churches realized they're going to have to change their approach to ministry. And they, they started saying, well, people don't feel like they have to necessarily go to church, so we need to attract them here. And we should do whatever it takes to attract them into the church, and then we can talk to them about Jesus. And there were good fruit that came out of that. There, were, there, were, uh, 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 there was a good intentionality about thinking about what the church does back in the 1980s. We can't just do things the way they used to be because people aren't going to come. We have to make church appealing in order to get people in the door. They moved from confrontation, but then sometimes landed in manipulation, where everything was about attraction. Everything was about making the church appealing, and they, they sacrificed some values along the way just to get people in the doors. I remember reading a book by a pastor of a mega church out in the Midwest. And I kid you not, the book said, we only put attractive people on our worship team because we know that's what people will come to look at. Now, I can't fathom a pastor thinking that, much less writing it in his stupid book. Some of you may have uh, sympathy for him. Because you get to look at this piece of eye candy every week. And I get it. I get it. I understand. <laughs> uh, I laughed so hard when I wrote that. I'm going to laugh in every service, actually, this weekend as I say that again. Um, but, but listen, listen. If, if, you, if you build a church that's just about attracting people in, what you attract people with is what you will attract them to. And if you attract people with entertainment, they will only be attracted to entertainment. If our goal is to attract people to Jesus, we have to attract them with Jesus and nothing else. So the church moved from confrontation to sometimes manipulation. But let's look at the heart of the sending of Jesus. Look, let's look at the heart of what he did when he sent his disciples out. Go out and heal the sick, cast out demons, and preach good news, especially to the poor. So we're doing something at our church this month to make sure that our, our 2023 is oriented towards living a life on mission. If you are here every week or if you listen on the podcast at reallife.la, you know that last week I said that the, year, the word of the year in 2023 is going to be blessings. And we're going to spend our lives trying to bless somebody around us. And so if you weren't here uh, in the lobby today at both campuses here and on the Glendora campus, you'll see a poster on the wall that's our, our blessings card, and you can grab one of the blue cards next to that poster. And on the back, there are eight blanks on there uh, in which for you to write names of eight people that you're going to seek to bless this year. Uh, eight may sound like a lot, but remember, that's just two families of four, so it's not too many. Fill in as many names as God puts on your heart of people you're going to bless this year. And then there are instructions on the left-hand side of that card of what we're going to do. We're going to list their names. We're going to start praying for them. We're going to find creative ways to invest in them and bless their lives. Send them notes of encouragement. Give them gifts. Make sure you spend time with them. Do whatever it takes to let them know that they're loved. Then we're going to seek to invite them into God's family. And we're going to seek to be an example of Jesus in their lives. By the end of 2023, if you live life on a mission for Jesus, you live life to bless the world. There will be people sitting next to you at our Christmas Eve service who at last Christmas weren't going to church. So seek to live life on a mission for Jesus as a blessing because God wants to bless you and God wants your life to bless the world. 
he sends his disciples out with no money, no bag, no extra clothes, nothing in their hands. Trust me, when you get to where you're going, I will give you the resources that you need to be a blessing. And in order to empty up our hands as we enter into 2023, we as a church now are in a 21-day fast. We started it last weekend. If you weren't here, if you haven't started, you can start today. And you can go 21 days from today, or you can just go till the end of the month with uh, the rest of us. But, but a fast is where we abstain from something. Uh, often, often it's food, or if it's a 21-day fast, some of us, like uh, I'm on a vegetarian diet for 21 days, which is a big sacrifice. The, the most gracious people in the world are the vegetarians who attend real life because they have to forgive me every single week for talking about bacon, right? So I, I'm on a vegetarian diet for 21 days. And we abstain from things like, like a certain kind of food or maybe caffeine or maybe social media for 21 days in order to empty up our hands, in order to take out of our hands something that we usually use to satisfy ourselves. And in this period, we go to God and say, I don't want to be satisfied by anything but you. And so I'm intentionally taking something out of my hands. And God, what I want you to put in my hands is more of your presence, more of your voice, more of your calling. Bless me as I seek to bless others. So together this month, we pray that God would bless our lives in 2023 so that we could be a blessing to others. This was the the heart of the sending of Jesus. It was not to create an audience of fans. It was to create a mission filled with followers. Jesus would repeat this again at the end of his life. And this is captured in the the Gospel of Matthew uh, in chapter 28. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus begins and ends his sending of his disciples with promises. The first promise is that he has all authority. I watch Christians get so anxious around election time (coughs) because they are afraid they don't have any authority. They're afraid they don't have a voice, that they've lost power. Listen, you have all the authority you need. You have all the authority in the world because Jesus has all authority in the world and he gives it to you when you go out to live life on a mission in his name. We need fear nothing. We don't have to live in anxiety because Jesus has all authority and sends us out to use that authority not in aggressive confrontation, not in manipulation, but in blessings. Jesus sends us out to bless the world in his name. And if you will bless the world in his name, you will transform the world. He sends us out with a promise of authority, and he concludes with a promise of his presence. Wherever you go, I am with you always. Live life on a mission and live life with me. I did a little um, social experiment this last week to practice blessings, to live into the the fact that I'm on a fast now to pray for blessings. 
I want God to use my life to bless other people. And so I, I did a little social experiment. Uh, it was kind of fun. I'd actually recommend it to you. It was not, not a bad thing to do. I went to a, a nearby cafe uh, a couple blocks away from here. And uh, I went in and I bought a bunch of gift cards. I used my own money. This was not church money. I bought a bunch of gift cards and put them in my pocket. And then I sat outside the cafe right by the door. And as people walked in, I would say, good morning. And if they said good morning back, I would say, would you like a gift card to this cafe? Fascinating experiment. Think, I always try to throw something in the sermons for you math majors. Think statistically, what percentage do you think uh, stopped and asked why? There's a, there's a time where Jesus heals 10 lepers and only one of them comes back and says, thank you. So I, I was just trying to beat 10%, right? I gave out gift cards. Um, only one person said, no, thank you. I don't know what his deal was, but he needs to figure out how life works. The one person said, no, thank you. All the rest stopped and said, thank you. All of them were appreciative. All of them were curious. Uh, one of them said, wait, are you don't want it? Um, but but uh, I, I found that one out of every four said, now, why are you doing this? Uh, and I was, I was prepared. I thought about what I was going to say ahead of time. When, when they asked, why are you doing this? I replied, God has been generous with me, and so I'm trying to be generous with other people. And I wish you could see the looks on their faces. They weren't just surprised and they weren't just thankful. They were, they were touched. In a word, I'd say they were blessed. Jesus calls us to live life on a mission for him, not just to be fans. And that means wherever we go, we pray that God would fill our lives with blessings so that we could bless the world. May it be so with you and I in 2023. Pray with me. Jesus, I thank you that you bless us so abundantly, that you give us more than we could ask for or imagine. And so I ask now for those who gather in this mission here at the beginning of 2023, bless our year. Bless it with your presence and your voice. Bless it with a deeper sense of your authority that is in us. And send us out in the world, not selfishly or fearfully, but confidently, with open hands, knowing that we don't need anything but you. Highlight in our lives and on our pathways those people who are most in need. And put in our hearts deeply creative and profoundly loving ways of caring for them. Give us the patience and maturity to pause and pay attention and care for anyone who would have need. And as we do so, Jesus, we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would open more hearts to yourself, that people would encounter you and realize how good you are, and they themselves become followers. If there's anybody now listening in who is ready to take that first step, we pray Jesus, come into our hearts. Be our Lord, our teacher, our guide, and our Savior. Forgive us and set us free to real life in you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. 
Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.